Welcome to Spooky Isles. My name's David Saunderson. Today we're talking to author, ghost hunter and paranormal historian Rob Kirkup. Now Rob, uh, we've interviewed in the past for the Spooky Isles, but he's a fascinating fellow. He uh, He's based in uh, Newcastle, but he's uh, from Northumberland. He's, he's basically from the northeast, and uh, he's written many, many books on the subject of ghosts in that part of the world. I'm fascinated by the area. I find that, uh, this, you know, I'm sure Rob will... Uh, tell me otherwise, but I, I think I don't think there's been much written about that area, and it, I think it's really worth uh, uh, investigating more. So uh, we're going to talk to Rob. We'll talk about his uh, journey in the paranormal. Uh, as he said to us the last time we interviewed him, he uh, started up in 2002 from doing a, I think it was called Talking Tarn or something like that mm-hmm. in uh, Carlisle. Uh, he did his uh, first investigation, and nothing stopped him. He, uh, nothing has held him back, I should say. Uh, written lots of books does his own podcast. Uh, He'll tell us all about that. And yeah, lots of plenty of things here to talk to uh, Rob about. So we'll start. Rob, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us on. Thank you. And uh, you've written quite a lot of articles for us in the past and very grateful for that because you've given us a, as I said, when I first, when I was doing a little introduction there, that... uh, has there been much written about the uh, the paranormal from Northumberland? There's, um, yeah, I mean, I think in if I go back if I go back to before my first book came out, I think that there has been a number of books, but there's maybe numbered so few that everybody knew what the books about Northumberland were. And I mean, I've got almost all of them on my shelves in the room that I'm sitting in now. But I think in more recent years, the northeast and Northumberland have been subject to to quite a few books like there's a really good book by a guy called Darren Ritten all about Berwick upon Tweed which is the well, it's just south of the the border into to Scotland and um I think I think it has started to gather a little bit more attention maybe getting the attention that it deserves yeah. Darren's a real good friend of uh, the Spooky Owls. He's written uh, a number of articles for us, and we've we've interviewed him a number of times. But over the the thing I find about Northumberland, I might be mistaken, but I, uh, in a in a previous life when I was working for a national organisation, I was responsible for doing uh, you know reaching out to different communities, and uh, some of them were in Northumberland. And I I found there's not there's there's obviously lots of villages, yeah. but there doesn't seem to be like a you know, we have Yorkshire, you might have Sheffield or York yeah. or Leeds or places like that. You don't seem to have that in Northumberland. So where are the ghosts? No. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the thing about Northumberland is you're right. There isn't any big, there's there's no big cities like you would get in, in the likes of Yorkshire or many of the other counties that you could name. It is villages. I mean, there's places like Annick that, that's often mispronounced that people have, are aware of now because of the likes of Harry Potter being based out of Annick Castle. Bambra is very popular, but it is just little seaside seaside villages and little little towns. Um, it's the most remote county in England um, if you look at the number of people per square kilometer. But it's also the county with the most castles in it because back in the William Wallace days, when England and Scotland were at each other's throats, Northumberland was the first place in England that the Scots would reach when they, they came across the border. So there's more castles in Northumberland than anywhere else in England. So I think that's one of the reasons why people maybe have started to give it a bit of attention. I mean, Chillingham Castle is is inevitably going to get mentioned at some point, so I might as well mention it now. And I think that that's one of the 
that's grown to, to fame in the last two decades. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why Northumberland has started to, to get a little bit more attention with people travelling to the area specifically to go and spend a night there. You've done lots of investigations. I know you've written. I, I, how many books have you written? I was I was trying to work it out by looking at Amazon. You've got you've got lots and lots of books. How many have you written? I think I've written thirty. Not all of them are about the paranormal because a, a few publishers did get in touch with me and ask if I'd write some local history books. But um, mm. I think I've done. I don't even know how many of them are based on the paranormal. I think it maybe eight. Um, and I've got another one coming out in. Well, I've got one that I've got to finish by September, which will be my fourteenth. I could have left it at thirteenth, but that that seems a little bit unlucky. Yeah. So I, I agreed to do another one. But yeah, I've got another yeah, one coming no, out. I know, September, I, I've got I, another one coming out probably early next year. And what's that about? It's going to be called Ghosts of the say? Northeast, and um, <laughs> it, it, it's it's going to be some of the most haunted places in the area. I mean, I'm probably going to speak to the publisher to see about doing maybe like a volume two or volume three, because it just seems like there's so many places to to put into one book. Mm. But um, yeah, it's going to feature some places from Northumberland, Tynan Weir, County Durham and Teesside. Okay, so that's a good start. Uh, what do you, do, is there a theme when it comes to Northeast ghosts? Now, you, you seem to, there seems to be a flavour of ghosts in different areas, yeah. and that might be you know, like Cornwall's a lot of you know smugglers, and you know same goes with sort of piratey type things in Bristol and sort of those type of places. And Norfolk, yeah, it's a bit more more interesting. But what's what do you think the theme is in your part of the world? I'm not sure there is a theme. I think we've got a bit of everything. I mean, you've mentioned smugglers there. I mean, in, in the northeast, we've got off the top of my head, we've got at least two places that I can think of that I've got ties to smugglers. We've got the um, Schooner Hotel in Almouth in Northumberland that is supposedly one of the most haunted hotels in the, the UK and that's got ties to smugglers. And then there's Marsden Grotto, which is a, a pub in Marsden Bay and Tyne and Weir, which is, was built into a cave. It was built into a, a, a cave and a cliff face and that became a popular haunt with smugglers and it's said that one of the ghosts there is supposedly the ghost of a smuggler who crossed his fellow smugglers and they took an empty barrel and broke his arms and legs, put him in the barrel while still alive and put him in one of the many caves in the, the cliff face at Marsden Bay to, to, to die. I mean, it's mm. probably not true, but it's, it's, a, it's a good story and there's a load <laughs> sounds, of... Sounds terribly horrible, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've got, we've got all sorts of stuff. I mean, if you think about it across Northumberland, um, like Dunstanborough Castle is, a, is an impressive ruin and... There's supposedly Sir Guy the Seeker, like a, a knight, like an Arthurian knight, supposedly there. And you've got the Castle Torture at Chillingham Castle, John Sage. We've got a bit of everything. Um, I think we've got a lot of ghosts with royal connections. We've got all all manner of spooks and spectres just waiting at every turn. I think I wouldn't say there's a flavour. I would say we've um, we've got a big melting pot of all manner of things just waiting mm. to be discovered. Well, you, you did mention quite a few famous ones. You did say Chillingham Castle, which is yeah. a really great name for a, a haunted place. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, I mean, we've, we've got stories on, you know, and now I'm going to be calling it Anik. How did you say you pr- pronounce it? We always say Ornik. 
Yeah, Anik. Anik. See, yeah, so we Anik. learn things when we talk to people. All these places we can't pronounce because we yeah. uh, just read them in books. Yeah. But uh, a lot of these places are, have some really, really interesting stories. I'm imagining you must have been to a lot of them, if not all of them. I think so. I think, I mean, across uh, across Northumberland, I've certainly been to almost all of the castles, if not all of them, um, across Tyne. Like, and, and most of them... The, most of the ones that I hadn't visited until more recent years, I've visited for the books that I've been writing to go and take photographs. So I, I think mm. if I look at a lot of the haunted places that we have across the region, I've probably been to the vast majority of them. I mean, I've just put out an episode on my podcast recently about the haunted theatres of Tyne and Weir, and I was literally in one of them last night for a um, stand-up comedy show, the Tyne Theatre and Opera House. We're spoiled yeah. in, the, in the northeast, we truly are. You're also, other than a paranormal historian, you're also a ghost hunter. Have you been? Have you investigated any or any of these places that you've uh, written about? Yeah, um, I've investigated. Well, I've done Chillingham Castle twice. Um, okay. It's. I mean, how, it's does hold, how does that hold up to its? How does that hold up to its uh, reputation? It's an amazing place. It's. It, it is a place that it's almost impossible to describe. It's just got a. A feeling about it, and it—I it, mean, uh, like the first time I did an investigation there, which was December two thousand and five, I think, a long time ago. Um, I was with one of my one of my friends came along who'd never been on an investigation before, and he said, "This place looks haunted," and it's the best way to sum it up. The first time I was there is I experienced probably the most in, inexplicable thing that. I've experienced on an investigation and I've been, as you say, Talk and Tom was the first one I did in 2002 and I've been on a lot since. But Chillingham Castle, the first time I was there is was probably the thing that really made me want, like a lot of people assume that I believe in ghosts because I write about them and I go on ghost hunts. But the reason I do it is because I'm looking for some kind of indisputable proof that there is such a thing as a ghost and Chillingham Castle, the first time I was there, was probably the closest I've come to it. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the what the feelings uh, were or the I'd I'd love to. So when we got there, as I say, it was it was December. There was a the only person at the castle when we got there was a, a security guy by the name of Bob. And he was putting up a Christmas tree in the courtyard. And when we, we arrived, there was only I think I was with four my brother and three friends. I think there was only five of us, and Bob said like he said, oh, go on, you, you know, you know, you're around the castle, do what you want to do. The place is yours. But he said, um, he said, I talk to them, you know. I said, you what? And he said, the ghosts, I speak to them. And I'm like, oh, OK, Bob. And he said, um, he said, if you need us to do anything, if you need us to come along and, and help stir something up, just give us a shout and I'll I'll, I'll give you a hand. And I said, oh, OK, well, we'll do. But I, I mean, never met this man before. I'm not going to buy into somebody who says they can do that without knowing them. So we did our thing, but it got to about three o'clock in the morning and absolutely nothing had happened. It had been such a, a quiet night and I'd been counting down the, the months and then the weeks and then the days to, to go there. So I thought, okay, well, we've got nothing to lose. Let's give Bob a shout and see if he is true to his word and if he can make something happen. So he was more than happy to come along with us and, and he was doing the, the Derek Akora most haunted thing. So we were going into rooms and he was saying, oh, there's a spirit of a there's a spirit of a man here or, or whatever it may be. And I say, okay, well, can he do something? And then he'd say, oh, he's, he's, he's fading away now. He's gone. And 
this went on like for every room we went in. And then we got to the chapel, which was the final room we investigated that night. And Bob said, like, I was just about to say, like, it was it was about four o'clock in the morning. We had to drive home. We weren't staying overnight. So I was just about to say, thanks, Bob. It's been brilliant, but we, we need to go. And just as I was about to say this, he said, oh, and I, this was 19, nearly, well, over 18 years ago now. And I remember it like it was, it was yesterday. He said, there's a ghost of a young boy just come into the room. And the tragic thing about him is that he doesn't know he's dead. He said his name's Eric and he's 12, maybe 12 or 13 years old. And he's wandering the castle looking for his parents who were killed here by the castle's torturer. And um, he said the thing about Eric is he likes to play tricks on people to let him know that he's around. And if anybody's been to Chillingham or if anybody goes to Chillingham, when you're in the chapel, there's a you've got the great hall off to one side and then there's another doorway that goes onto a balcony. And if you go down the steps, you go into the tea room. And that doorway hasn't got a door on it. It's, it's a, got a big, heavy curtain hanging on it. And he said, what Eric does is he moves the curtain. And we were all sitting facing this curtain. And as I say, it was it's, it's a, a floor-to-ceiling curtain, weighs a ton, wasn't moving at all. And no sooner had Bob finished speaking that, this curtain started moving into the room as if there was two hands on the other side of it, pushing it into the... You could almost see the two hands pushing it into the room. I could see behind the curtain, and it was definitely moving into the room to the point where it was no longer flat to the floor. It had rose up. All of us were sitting looking. I'm looking at the, the other guys thinking, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And then it slowly went, like it fell level again. And then it slowly got pushed back into the room where we are, we were, and then went level again. And then we sat and watched it for about another 20 minutes and it didn't move an inch. But I mean, that might sound like a small thing, but that rocked my belief system to its core because... Bob told us what was going to happen and it happened, which made me reconsider my stance entirely on, well, at that point in time in psychics or those who claim that they can can see and speak to and communicate with spirits because I thought Bob was, dare I say, making it up because he was telling us what was going on, but there was no tangible proof. Bob told us what was going to happen and it happened. And that, like, that's, I couldn't sleep for weeks because I was lying awake trying to rationalise what had happened, and to this day I can't. No idea. Sounds like I, you're I obviously very, very you, you were you were literally spooked by it. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I was more fascinated. I wasn't scared. I didn't feel I didn't feel scared in any way, shape, or form. It was um, it was just absolutely incredible. And as I say, I didn't expect anything to happen, and then it did. And if I was there on my own, I'd have thought, right, okay, it was four o'clock in the morning. I've been thinking about ghosts, talking about ghosts, asking ghosts to do things, looking for ghosts. It was me imagination, but everybody in that room saw what I saw. When we left, I said, what did you see? And they told me exactly what I'd seen. I could see behind the curtain, there was nobody there. Everybody in the castle was in that room. Can't explain it. Don't know. But I mean, I've done, I've been, no, I've done no, lots no, of no investigations. No, well, no drafts, I mean, it, no wind or... That's it. If there was... I would have expected it to be more of a, a like a wafty movement of the curtain, and I would have expected it to be happening after it seemed to stop. I mean, it is a drafty old castle, and it was December, but it looked like it was somebody pushing the curtain into the room slowly, methodically, bit by bit. Don't know. Hmm. I mean, I'll never know what it was, but it's stayed with us. I've done I've done a lot of investigations, not just in the northeast. I've done a lot of investigations where 
where things have happened. And I've done even more where absolutely nothing's happened, but that, that, I can't get my head around it. I don't understand what went on. Can I go back a bit? We were saying mm-hmm. at the start when we interviewed the last time, we said uh, you, you did your first investigation in Carlisle. Yeah. Can we maybe talk about how you came to want to do that? You know, what, what, you know, what was your thoughts as a child about ghosts and things like that? Yeah, I'd love to. So when I was a child, and I have talked about this in a couple of interviews before, but I'll happily... I'll happily talk about it because, I mean, I think it's interesting to know where anybody's interest in these kind of things come from. But when I was a child, I mean, I was I was going to say I was naturally curious, but I think all children are naturally curious. I mean, especially when you grow up believing in things that you're told are real. And then you later find out that maybe they aren't, you know, like Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. I hope there's no kids listening. Um but I mean, when I was when I was young, my nana used to take me and my brother to the local village library every week and would check out some books, the same as same as a lot of kids did growing up in the eighties when I was growing up. Um, and there was one time when I went in, and I was cu- I was always curious about the grown up section that it seemed like I wasn't allowed in. And when I was about maybe eight, I, I thought, you know what, I want to see what's going on over there. I'm, I'm I'm renting out all these children's fiction books, but I want to know what what else is is in this library. And I went and stood on my tiptoes and said to the, the lady behind the counter, can I get some books out from over there? And she said, yeah, of course you can. Go and have a look. You get what you want and then just bring them here. And I had a look and there was nonfiction books on things like sport and uh, uh, history books and geography books. But then I found a really small section on mysteries of the world and Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and ghosts. And I, I picked up this small pile of books. And I've I've still got I've still got some of them. I mean, they're not from the library, but I've got copies of my own today. Like normally, by people mm. like um, Janet and Colin Board and, and and those kind of classic books from the the back in the day. Mm. And I took these books home, and um, I was fascinated and terrified in equal measure seeing some of the the classic ghost photographs from black and white photos of these things that I had no idea were even supposedly a thing. Reading about cats with wings and um, spontaneous human combustion that that certainly seems to have fallen out of fashion and then the i I, am i stumbled across a story about a place that i'd heard of the hexham heads hexham in northumberland is a place that i used to go conquer picking with me me dad and my brother when i was a kid and I, i knew hexham wasn't all that far away and the fact that there was this fascinating story about these two stone heads that were found in a garden back in 1972 and all hell broke loose and I mean, it's still a, a very famous story today, but reading about something so close to home just piqued my interest. And I, it, it was an interest that I never lost, but I never, I didn't actively pursue it. It was just something that I was interested in. Like if I saw a, a, a story in the newspapers about somewhere local, I'd I'd be desperate to find out what had, what had supposedly happened and where it was. And I remember going on ghost walks in York when I was maybe like 12 or 13 with, with my parents. But how I got uh, how the talk and tarn piece came about was back in the early two thousands. I was working at the Inland Revenue doing data entry, and I I used to listen to the the radio. I listened to some music while I was doing it because it was a particularly mundane job, and you got paid depending on how fast you could type. So I'd listen to um, music, but I'd prefer to listen to somebody talking to us because it was quite easy to doze off doing the same thing all day long. There was a local radio show in the northeast called Alan Robson's Night Owls on Metro Radio, which was a 
He was on the air for four, over 40 years. It's not on anymore, sadly. But Alan Robson, who hosted it, was a, a local legend, still is a local legend. And he his Halloween shows were famous. And what I used to do is I used to record night hours on the cassette, listen to it on me, walk when it worked during the day. And one year, in 2002, he said, "If what I'm, ask, what I'm after this year for the Halloween show is anybody who's interested in being a ghost hunter for the show to write a letter and I'll pick some people and I'll send you, I'll set you a challenge. I'll send you somewhere. You'll be my on the spot ghost hunters. And if you see or experience anything, you'll ring the hotline and I'll get you on air and I'll be in the show doing the Halloween show. I'll be telling ghost stories. I'll be getting people on air, telling their ghost stories, but I'm going to send people out into the, the Northeast to look for ghosts. And I, I thought that sounded incredible. So I wrote a letter, um, not an email. He wanted a handwritten letter. So I wrote a letter and a couple of days later, he said, right, I've had 5,000 letters so far. I'm only going to pick 10. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm certainly not going to get a chance. And that, that's that. But a few days later, I got home from work and there was a letter waiting for us with the Metro Radio postmark on it. And when I opened it, I can imagine what Charlie must have felt like when he opened that bar of chocolate and found that <laughs> golden ticket because there was a handwritten letter from Alan Robson and I've been one of the those picked. And he, there was some photocopies, um, like stories. There was a handwritten letter. And he said, he told me to put a team together and be a talking tarn in uh, near, well, in, in Carlisle, in Cumbria, by 10 o'clock on the night of Halloween. Be ready, ready to go. And that, that was what happened. I, I, I got a, rounded up a few of my friends from university because I only graduated a couple of years earlier. And, uh, yeah, we went. We headed across to Brampton, which is the nearest little village to Torgan Town, and spent the night investigating this haunted lake. And the reason that Alan sent us there is the previous month in September of that year, they made local the local news that because there's a go, well, there's a ghost story of a girl called Jessie who supposedly got drowned there by her lover, and her body was buried beneath the the water and it was never found. And the previous month to our investigation, um. 20 something people had been enjoying walking around the the lake um buying an ice cream and feeding the ducks and they'd seen the bloody apparition of a woman walk out of the water onto the the land where they were and disappear before the very eyes and i had the photocopy of the news story in the the pack that i got sent and um yeah we went along looking to see if we could find this uh this ghost we didn't. Spoiler alert! But it was a, it was an it was a fascinating night, and it was genuinely scary at times. I think it, it the scariness was added to by being out in the wild, and it's such a remote area. We could see lights and trees like around the other side of the lake, wondering if there was somebody else doing what we were doing. But it was a little bit it, it was a little bit spooky being out there. It was a bit Blair Witch. It was a good night, and I just what? carried on doing it then. What kind of, uh, did you use any instruments, any tools, or was it just your ears and eyes? What were you doing? Just uh, back then, it was, uh, first one we'd done, it was just our senses. We had cameras, um, did, not digital cameras, because it was too early for digital cameras, but we had our cameras, and we were just asking, just using our ears and our eyes and saying, can you can you do something? Can you make yourself known? You know, a bit like most taunted, but without all of the uh, the gadgets that people seem to have these mm. days. Back then, I don't think there was a huge market as well for um paranormal equipment certainly not the way there is today what's your thoughts about paranormal equipment today i think it's got its place i mean it depends on 
how much credence you put into it. Like this is probably not going to go down well with with a lot of people. But like if you think about something like an EMF meter, just because it sounds doesn't prove anything really. It doesn't prove there's a presence there. If that's if that's joined by something tangible, if that's accompanied by something tangible, then great. But just because it sounds doesn't mean there's something there. Like, and if you look at something like uh, Frank's box or, or more commonly known as a spirit box today, I think pareidolia has got a lot to, to play in that when people are listening for sounds and names and you're getting snippets of things from the radio. Um, but I certainly think it's got its place. I mean, there's only so long you can spend in a supposedly haunted location asking for things to happen and mm. not getting anything in response. I mean, you, I think it's easy to grow disheartened or um, uh, just convince yourself that nothing's going to happen. It's like going fishing for a day and not catching a fish. How long are you going to throw your line in the water before you give up and go home? So I do, I do think that paranormal equipment's got its place. I do think there's a there's a lot of really clever kit out there as well. Like I was recently on an investigation where um, they had cat balls and REM pods and, and all of this great stuff. And I, I do think that it, it has got its place, providing you don't assume that if something sounds, that means it's a ghost. But everybody has I mean, Sorry, I've, I was just going to no, say, should, you've been yeah. doing this for quite a long time. You've been investigating for you know well over 20 years. Yeah. And uh, what, what keeps you going, though? I mean, you know, if you – what you know, what, what is it that's, you know, keeps you wanting to keep going out into places where you know there's a very good chance you're going to be hanging around a, a dark place for hours on end and nothing happened? What is it that keeps you going? There's a few things. I mean, I think I enjoy the thrill of – turning up and having no idea what the night's got in store for me. Um, I mean, as I said earlier on, I am very open-minded to there being something, but I'm not com- I'm not a 100% believer. But how do I not know that the next one's going to be the one? You know, I've been on a lot of investigations where I've had nibbles, where things have happened and it's it's not developed into anything. And I've been in investigations where things have happened that I can't explain. But I've been on 95% of the investigations I've been on, nothing happens. But it's that 5% where something does happen, where you come away with it whirling around in your mind, trying to work out what could have, what, like trying to explain these things away. And I do enjoy the um, the camaraderie with going along with, whether it be my small team of a few of us, or I've joined a few organised investigations in recent um, like in the, in the last six months, I've been on a couple of, of organised investigations with events groups, and I, I do think it's it's even when nothing happens, if you're in a big group like that, it's generally a thoroughly enjoyable evening anyway. Hmm. So, still the thrill of the hunt. Exactly, you enjoy the thrill of the hunt. Yeah. So, now, as I said earlier, you uh, have a podcast. You've mentioned it a few times. Mm-hmm. How haunted? Can you give us uh, what's what's the website? How hyphen haunted dot com is uh, the website. But I mean, if anybody wants to listen to the podcast, if you search how haunted question mark, anywhere you get podcasts, you'll find it. You can even ask Alexa and I need to say that quietly in case mine starts going off. But you can even ask the um, Alexa devices. I'm sure people will find it in their favorite podcast place. Maybe even when they're listening to this, they'll, uh, they'll go ahead and find it. So just for people that are unfamiliar with your style, it's, it's less more about interviews, which we do. You're talking about folk, 
folklore and that's the kind of stuff that you've translated or not translated that's not the right word but you've written about for the spooky isles as well because yeah. uh, over halloween you wrote a couple and it seems like the northeast is full of vampires from what you tell us there's at least a couple i mean it's it, uh, the podcast covers places all over it's it's predominantly the uk but it has covered places all over the world um like i've done the coliseum in rome and um i've done a few other overseas locations but it's yeah, so most episodes will be one location, like let's say Chillingham Castle as an example, and I will cover in a normally 30 minutes plus episodes a real deep dive into the history and the ghost stories. And then if I've been there, I'll sometimes talk about what's happened when, when I've been on an investigation. I've done quite a lot of invest I've done quite a lot of episodes which are like audio ghost walks, which seem to be quite popular. Like I've done Pluckley Village and Presbury and I did for Halloween 2022 I did the Ghost Walk of York um they've they seem to be quite popular and for my 50th episode I did a an on location ghost walk in Birmingham just me and and a a microphone but I'm planning on doing a few of those across this year I've, I've I've got some plans and in January January was a month of haunted dolls so I did a two two episodes which are nearly an hour each all about stories of haunted dolls from around the world and then for my patreon episode for january and this seemed like a good idea at the time but but i soon realized it probably wasn't i bought my very own haunted doll and then spent two hours with nothing but that doll for company in a hotel room to try and uh see what would happen and uh that that was slightly slightly dodgy the whole idea of it (laughs) Well, I mean, it, like yeah. it's dodgy on so many levels. As soon as I got in that room, and like the, the listing that I bought it from said, "Light a white candle and invite the doll to join you in the room." And I thought, if anybody walks in this room, and here I am with candles lit, and it's just me and a doll, like what's that going to look like, you know? Um, but but Call on the a police. yeah, exactly on a on a scary level, it was fairly terrifying because I had no idea what was going to happen. And I'm generally don't get overly scared because I've become quite hardened to investigations, dare I say. Um, but it was it was really really um, uh, fear of the I suppose unknown. that is the thing, isn't it? We we build these things up in our mind. Like if you went to a castle, you, you you're hoping you'll see or hear or feel or something. Yeah. And and you've got it kind of got in your mind that you know, okay, I might see a figure or something or a, mm-hmm. a, a curtain move or a, a cold wind. But when you're sitting there with a, a haunted doll, I'm assuming you've got all these images in your head from a, from a horror film or something. Yeah. They go, get out. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that's probably what scared you more that you were expecting that kind of behavior. Yeah. I mean, spoiler alert, like the first night I was there, I'm sitting, sitting talking to this doll, which even when I say it out loud, seems ridiculous, <laughs> but I'm sitting talking to this doll. And, um, I said, do you want to hurt me? And the TV turned itself on. I was nowhere near the remote control. Yeah. And in my head, I said, I, like, I tried to pass it off as just being one of those things. Like, I'm in a hotel room. Like, sometimes when you check into a hotel, they turn the TV on before. Like, in hindsight, I don't know how it happened, but that should have worried us probably more than it did. Yeah, yeah it was It was a bizarre That's... couple of days. It was. It was really weird. But, I mean, the, the podcast yeah. itself... As, I mean, 
an ep- there's an episode out every two weeks now, and there's already seventy episode seventy one came out yesterday. So there's a big library of episodes just waiting to be um, listened to. But yeah, I mean, I, I try and cover a bit of everything. So like my Christmas episode, for example, was listener stories, and it was nearly two hours long. There was there was some really yeah. really good good things there, and some YouTubers and other podcasters popped by to to talk to us about their experiences. So it's good. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's all good stuff. And uh, it's obviously another way that you can uh, explore. You're, you're writing your books, you're doing your podcasts, you're doing your investigations, you, you know, you, you're doing, you know, I was going to say keeping it real. <laughs> I don't really want to yeah, say keeping it yeah, real, yeah. but you're, you're, do, you're doing what, what it takes. So thanks very much. Oh, just before I go, I was going to just mention, so we've got a couple of articles coming from you uh, on the Spooky Isles in the next couple of weeks. You wrote one for us uh, last year with a kind of a, a plan. Like if you were going to Northumberland, what would you, you know, it's your suggestions of you know, what people should visit, do eat you know all the kind of different castles and mm-hmm. haunted pubs and things like that so that was an excellent uh, one so i invited you to write a couple more so you've got one coming up about newcastle and you've got another one coming up at durham and then i'll yeah. be on the spooky owls in the next couple of weeks so i mean i think they're, they're gonna be very useful for people because i find that when i want to go visit some somewhere like i recently went to lincolnshire and it would have been nice and I'll make sure this happens because it's what we do at the Spooky Isles is produce material that people can use. So when they do go to a place, they go, well, here's the hotel I can stay at. And while I'm there, I can go visit this place and go visit that place and visit that yeah. place because, you know, getting advice from yourself, you know where these are the what's – what's a good place to go in Newcastle or Durham or, or Northumberland. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, as, I said, as I said at the, the beginning of this, I, I do think that – Anybody who comes to the northeast with ghosts in mind, you're not going to struggle to find places to eat, drink, stay, and go and visit. Where yeah, we are an often overlooked hotbed of of places, definitely worth your time. It does sound like that because I mean, you, I know people who come from America and other parts of the world, and yes, there's the places that we all know that they'll all go to, and they'll go to yeah. London and yeah. York and places like that. But it sounds like you know, you you wouldn't have to drive too far to find a haunted castle, even because you said there's so many castles there up in uh, in the place. Can't get moved for them, Northumberland. As I say, most most castles in any county in the country, and a lot of them are ruins, but um, there are some incredible castles. Annex worth a visit: Barnborough, Dunstanborough, loads of them. Walkworth. It's getting me excited. I've got to go and start researching this and uh, and maybe come up and uh, visit and see what's going on there at some stage. So once again, Rob Kirkup uh, of how-haunted.com podcast and other books. We're going to put all the links in everything uh, we do. And uh, we continue to look forward to talking to you in the future, Rob, about uh, whatever, the, whatever the ghostly future may bring. So thanks very much for being a guest today. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. No problem. Thanks for having us.